As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Good morning. I want to welcome you all here live at Naperville and also want to welcome all those at home. It's great to be together, is it not? Come on, with that, we're not selling anything to anyone. Are you with me? Let's go. It's good to be here. All right, good stuff. Okay, so I got to tell you this story about my friend. Very, very good friend. We're really close. And um, so he wanted, he wanted to pop the question. He'd been seeing this girl for, man, two years. And he's like, the time is now, the time is right. So he's a big, huge baseball fan. So he wants to do it, of all places, at, in a baseball game with the Chicago White Sox, he's thinking this is the time when it was called Kaminsky, and he's like, I'm gonna do it at Kaminsky Park. It's where I wanna do it. And so he rents one of those um, uh, planes with the banner on it that says, will you marry me? He talks to the management, everything is ready to go. It's all planned. So he gets to the field, she's with him, they're sitting in their seats, everything's ready to go. And the inning, when he's supposed to do it, it pops up, the plane comes flying overhead with the sign, will you marry me? She looks up and she sees it. She looks at him, he looks at her, he gets out of his seat, he pulls out the ring, he gets down on one knee, jumbotron. Everybody's watching. He looks at her, and he says, will you marry me? She puts her head down. She begins to cry. The crowd begins to sigh. She shakes her head no. He gets up. He puts the ring in his pocket. He sits down in his seat. And it was done on national TV for every single person to see. How many would agree with me that at times, relationships can be complicated and confusing and complex? Anybody agree? Give me a hand raise. Come on now. I'm telling you, especially when one person in a relationship is thinking one thing and the other person is thinking something completely different or feelings get hurt, boundaries get crossed. That's why we're in a series entitled DTR, Defining the Relationship. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 7. I promise it's going to take me a while, but I'm going to get there and meet you there soon. Last week, we talked about defining the relationship with God, and we went through the three non-negotiables from Micah chapter 6 verse 8 about doing justice, being kind, and walking humbly with your God. This week, I want to talk with you about defining the relationship in marriage. And I want to give you what we're calling the five essential qualities of oneness. Because that's what marriage is about. It's about oneness. Now, for all those wondering about my friend, five months later, she said yes. He's been, yeah, come on, let's give it up. I'm telling you, I couldn't leave you there. I wanted to, and, and they've been married for over 20 years. They got three kids, they live on the West Coast. I mean, what a, what a phenomenal thing, but a crazy story. <laughs> marriage, it can be crazy. It can get off to a good start, it can get off to a rocky start. But today, we're gonna elevate marriage. 
the sanctity of marriage. So whether you want to be married or don't want to be married, whether you're single, whether you were married, whether you are married, whether you're thinking about asking someone to marry you but now reconsidering based on that story. (laughs) It doesn't matter because this is about elevating the sacredness of marriage because it is a bedrock to our society, family and marriage. And that's running contrary to what we're seeing and understanding and what's being modeled. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's what's going on. So we're going to start with Adam and Eve, the first couple, and we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, and that is the first place we're going to turn the first scripture of many, and this is a scripture that relates to us. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, some versions say cleave, to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's what I'm talking about. The miracle of marriage is the two become one flesh. I like to say it like this. You gotta leave, you gotta get out of the house, you gotta go, because you don't want your in-laws to become your outlaws. Anybody with me, do you understand that? Because if you don't get out and you don't mess around, like this isn't gonna work. You gotta move forward, because it's a new relationship. You gotta leave, you gotta cleave, and then I like to say you gotta weave, because God's weaving together something that is new and something that is beautiful, and something that is unique. But here's a statement you didn't have to say 20 years ago when we started the church. Marriage is between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. That's a male and a female. That's what marriage is about. At least that's what the scriptures say. Now, I'm going to give you this clarification that I think will be helpful, because that's not what the world says. Today, follow me, bouncing ball, I want to talk with you about sacred marriage. A sacred marriage is a marriage that's building on the truth of God's word and what that looks like. And anybody can get married today, just go to Vegas and whatever it is, like, but I'm talking about uplifting the sanctity of marriage as defined by God, determining the relationship, five essential qualities of marriage. So this message for everybody to hear. First one is this, that it's about spiritual oneness. So I told you I was going to get to Matthew chapter 7. Look with me. It's what Jesus says, his words. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat. they beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the winds, rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell. Great was its fall. Hey, for everybody, those joining us at home, guess what? This story Jesus tells is about two very different people with two very different outcomes with two very different foundations. One person built on the sand, the other person built on the rock. One person withstood the storm, the other person did not withstand the storm. What's Jesus getting at? He's simply asking you the question. It isn't about marriage. It's about your life. It's the most important question anybody's going to ask you. He's going to say, what are you building on? Are you choosing to build on the rock, which is the foundation, which is the timeless truth of God's word? Timeless truths that reveal who Jesus is. Or are you choosing to build on the sand, which is what? Which is the sinking sand of the world, which is the changing philosophy that we see. What will you choose to build your life on? The most important question. But I want to turn it 
and say to you who are married, what are you choosing to build your marriage on? Are each one of you choosing to build on the rock? Because that's really important. I mean, what are people choosing to build their churches on? Are they choosing to build on the What are you choosing to build your business on, man? Are you choosing to build on the rock? That's why I'm saying sacred marriage, because a lot of people are choosing to build on a lot of other things. Anybody with me? But what about you? And what about your family? And if you're listening to me as a single parent, what are you building your family on? What is it? It's a choice. So how do we build on the rock? How do we do this? Well, this is what we call the spiritual oneness triangle of marriage. We've taught on this before, so I'm going to race through it. God at the top, husband and wife at the base of the triangle. That distance is the farthest that's apart. But if we do this, if we move up the triangle into a relationship with God because we're choosing to base our life on God's word and we're choosing to live for him, then guess what? We've got the bullseye. And that's where the proximity between you and your wife is the closest. And this is the spiritual oneness that we're talking about. And that's a place that we want to be with God in the center. But what happens? We flip the triangle on its side. And we put, for those of you who are married, our spouse at the top, which displaces God from his rightful authority in your life. Or you flip the triangle again. And you put you at the top. And the world revolves around you. And you're the king of the castle. And each one of these things is displacing God for his place of authority. Now, you could write job, you could write career, you could write family, you could write kids, you could write friends, you could write activities. Anything can be displaced God. All those things can be at the top, and they all have the same result. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing, sometimes it can be a good thing, because good things can crowd out bad things, or good things can do what? They can crowd out the best thing, which is God himself. See, good things become bad things when they crowd out the best thing. And so maybe you grew up in a home where it was modeled appropriately. Maybe you didn't. Let me show you my triangle, my spiritual oneness triangle for my parents. This is what it was. The dotted line represents they didn't know Christ. They weren't building on the rock. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm just saying this. My family got so many things right, and I'm the benefactor. Like, they did some things that I'm telling you, man, they stuck together. They made it through. They taught me so much. But they didn't model spiritual oneness. Maybe you grew up in this home where the solid line represents your mom had a relationship with God and your dad didn't. and That caused some issues and some closeness and some proximity and some, do, do we see what I'm talking about? Now let me say this, go back to the original triangle, please. I'm so thankful that my parents in their 70s both embraced Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so they began to do something long before I was, or before I was out of the house. And they were beginning to scratch the surface of spiritual intimacy. So I say to all of us, it's never too late. It's just never too late to get this right next one with the bullseye, to get to the place where, please, next diagram with the little circle, to get to the place of spiritual intimacy no matter where you are. Second, essential uh, characteristic or quality of oneness. 
turn to Ecclesiastes chapter four in your Bibles, or just wait, I'm gonna put it up on the screen. Relational oneness. Now it's about relational. So we talked about the spiritual. What's the relational oneness? Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, let me read this to you. Ecclesiastes chapter four. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. So what that's saying is what? That they are helping each other out. For if they fall, one will lift the fellow up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. There's a warning if you're doing life alone without any relationships, without any people, man, you're going to be in trouble because we need people to care for us. And then it says in verse 11, again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Now, this is before space heaters and uh, furnaces, and so this is like, hey, man, we, you know, it's cold. We got to get close together. And so it's a picture of provision. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. That's a picture of protection that we're going to stand up for each other. And then it's got this interesting little phrase. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I got to be honest, when I first read this the first time, I didn't get it. I'm like, okay, so I'm applying it. This can be applied to any close relationship, but I was applying it to marriage with my wife, Jody, and I'm like, okay, I get the one person and the other person, and we're, okay, we're helping each other, you know, we're lifting each other up, and, and, and but what's the core to three? And you think it's funny, but I, I didn't even understand it. And I had, do you know what's called the conceptual gestalt? Have you ever heard of that? Anybody? Conceptual gestalt, you can look it up. It, it's, it's, this, it's when you're watching a cartoon and the, and the, and the thought balloon comes up, and then the little light bulb goes out, that's a conceptual gestalt. Learn something new every day in church, don't you? And so, so what I heard some kids say yes. A little kid, that was funny. Okay, so maybe I heard it from a person at home. Okay, so the thought balloon with the light bulb went off in my head. And I'm like, it's God, why did it go off? Because I had experienced it. Let me slow down enough to tell you. God pulled us together, man. And, and, and he tied us together. And like we were separating and, and he held us together. How many know what I'm talking about? Through the difficulties, through the difficult storms that we were building on the rock and the marriage was on the rock and, and he brought us together and he was holding us together by his strength. And so that's so important that we will get through the difficult times relationally, that we'll help each other, that we'll walk with each other, that we'll be there for one another. Let me summarize these verses in this one sentence. Relational oneness develops as we care for each other, help each other, provide for each other, protect each other, and pray for each other. That's Ecclesiastes chapter nine, or excuse me, four verses nine through 12. And so that's what was going on for them. That's what needs to go on for us, that they were experiencing relational and spiritual oneness. I love how Tim Keller says it, because it's not always easy. He writes, the reason that marriage is so painful and yet wonderful is because it is a reflection of the gospel, which is painful and wonderful at once. The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever could believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will really transform us. Love without truth is sentimentality. 
It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love, it's harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Spiritual and relational oneness. Let's look at the third essential quality. It's emotional oneness. And so here, I want to turn to the Song of Solomon. We'll do it on the screen. I've got three verses I want to show you. You've heard one or two of them because they're usually on a plaque or a plate. And let's put the first one up that, that you see, my beloved is mine and I am his. And you give this at a marriage and on a wood thing and you hang it up and when somebody gets married. And so Song of Solomon is an interesting little book and it is about a husband and wife, but it talks about the difficulties of marriage as it traces their relationship, excuse me, from the dating time to the night that they were married. Got to get through that. And to the first few years when they mature and they grew. But this phrase is found three times in the book, a little differently and uniquely. And it communicates, let me give you a quick study on the Song of Solomon, it communicates something different each time. The first time she uses it, it's in the context of chapter 2 and verse 15, she's talking about these little foxes, and the little foxes were getting in, and they were causing difficulty in the relationship. And so when she says, my beloved is mine and I am his, he grazes among the lilies the first time, what she's saying, it's more about her feelings, her cares, her concerns as she's claiming him as her own. That's what she's doing. She's doing the move. I don't know, let me just teach you something about um, social media right now. My daughter's told me this. I I wouldn't have known this. So when you see a picture of a a man and his woman, or a boyfriend and a girlfriend, did you know this? This is good stuff. Is that when the girl goes like this and puts it right here on the guy, do you know what she's doing? He's mine. That's being claimed right there. That's just, not, not, aren't you learning stuff new here today? I mean, this is good stuff. I mean, this is unbelievable. So it's like, he's mine. And so she'll slip it in, you know, he's mine. And, and so that's what she's doing. He, he's mine. She's claiming him as her own. But the second time we see it, they were in a bit of a difficult period. And we'll jump to the next time. And it's in Solomon chapter, uh, Song of Solomon chapter six. And they went through a period of breakup. And then so now she says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The emphasis changes. He grazes among the lilies. So before she was only concerned about her feelings. Now she's concerned about his feelings. And she's saying, not he is mine, but I am his. It's very different. And then the third time you see it, it's quite interesting. Because in chapter 7, she says, I'm a beloved and his desire is for me. So it's not about her feelings exclusively and his feelings exclusively. It's about our feelings as we're together in oneness. Emotionally and spiritually and relationally. You say, how did she get to this place? This is the place we're going for. Well, if you read chapter six and seven, guys, the guy just like, he's just going off, praising her for how awesome she is, how wonderful she is, how beautiful she is. He's like singing a song to her. He's just, he's just giving this melody and he's complimenting her on all these things. And she turns and says that. 
I would suggest that if you know what Song of Solomon is about, that you would do that to your wife today. Because that softens and that's good that we would praise each other and we would thank each other for what we have. But I don't think it's a stretch to say that this couple overcame adversity, that this couple had to resolve conflict, that this couple had to learn some things. Just like you and I. Just like we do. So let me ask you as you take a personal inventory, husband and wife, and your family, do you know how to resolve conflict in a biblical way? Who's the first one to say they're sorry or ask for forgiveness? Do you know the difference between saying you're sorry and asking for forgiveness? Because my wife, if she was on the stage, she'd say, sorry is for accidents when you spill the milk, but when you're kicking your brother and sister, that's, you're sinning, you gotta ask for forgiveness. And there's a difference. Were these things this way to handle adversity and conflict? Was it modeled for you as a kid growing up? Are you doing it the right way? Because these are the things, as you answer those questions for yourself, these are things that, that result in this emotional oneness and healing that I'm talking about. And so many couples are having so many difficulties and marriages are breaking apart because of this. So what I'd like you to do is turn your attention to the screen for a moment because we're gonna show you a couple and I love their transparency and openness and, and they're gonna to talk to you about their journey of emotional oneness, relational oneness, spiritual oneness. And as you listen to them, think about your journey and what God wants to teach you about these very same things. Take a look at the screen with me. I'm Jason, and um, this is my wife, Holly. Jason and I are high school sweethearts. We have been married for 24 years. Jason and I, I don't think, ever really put the Lord in the center of our marriage, and it was bad. I mean, there were multiple affairs. I myself also did make bad decisions, and, and it was because of the space that I was in. Together, it was just such a volatile environment, shouting matches and slamming doors and I could get very mean about um, what was happening because I was hurt. I was very hurt. We separated in January 2020, so I packed up a little things I could in that short amount of time. I didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to leave my wife and, and my, my kids. So that whole next week, I really struggled. You know, every night it was just like, what am I doing? You know, where am I at? I already paid for this ticket to come to the men's conference here at High Point. I made the decision the night before to go. Um, one of the sessions dealt with um, sexual addictions, and we got a text afterwards. I ended up texting that number back, and the next thing you know, Pastor Craig is inviting me to Hope Group. I made the commitment to come out every Wednesday. It's 110 miles one way for me. It's about an hour and a half. It's a long journey, but it's well worth it. My um, job contract ended in April 2020. She um, reluctantly let me back in the house. I started to see slight changes in the way that he was talking and the way that he was speaking about the Lord and um, what God was actually doing in his life. Every once in a while, I'd catch him reading his Bible, which I'd never, I'd be like, what? What is this? What is he doing? He never did that before. He kept asking me to come to Hope Group. I, you know, I didn't think that that was a place for me. I'm like, I, he's broken, I'm not. It really um, opened my eyes to the fact that we all have struggles. 
It's amazing how God can use other people. He's got his his space with his his guys, and they have this whole community that really encourages and supports each other. They can reach out at any point in time, and I have that too. I'm excited to be a part of that. I'm excited for Jason to be a part of that. The Hope Group, to me, has just been a hit since day one, and I've really felt like I belonged in, in this church. The Lord, He's there for me. He wants me to have a fulfilling marriage with my wife. It's taken me 24 years to realize that. With God's grace and mercy and um, forgiveness, this marriage relationship is, is coming together slowly. We still have our struggles. Yes, we do. <laughs> but it's not just us anymore. Isn't that an awesome story? Let's praise God for His goodness and grace. And I, I love the openness and transparency. Did you catch that? Um, you know, they said uh, Pastor Craig leads our hope groups, and they said they're driving an hour, he's driving an hour and a half one way to, to do what he needs to do to, to get the marriage back to the place where they can experience this emotional and oneness and this spiritual oneness and this relational oneness. And what a great thing that we would be as open with our struggles and difficulties so that we could help each other. The scripture says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. I love that about our church. Come on, let's praise God again. I love that about our church, that we're willing to share our experiences to help other people. So two more. Let's get real practical. Let's go to this financial oneness. And so the scripture says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So this is a call for us to be financially wise and be good stewards of what we've been entrusted with. And I gotta tell you, this is pulling apart couples and marriages. The top three issues that couples will cite that they struggle with, Jody and I do a lot of marriage conferences, and in the top three, national statistic as well, it's, it's the financial issue. And I gotta tell you, remember when I said, man, my parents, they prepared me and taught me well, even though they didn't have the spiritual oneness, this financial and practical, man, it was just beaten into me as a kid. So, I mean, my dad, like he taught me well in this area. I haven't had a lot of struggle here. I got a finance degree actually. And so, you know, it's like, whoa, they did that really well. So let me share with you what I'm calling the top five rules of financial oneness. And the first one is this, please hear my heart in this, set a budget and stick to it. So many people don't know what happened to their money. You can't spend more than you take in. It's true. Our government can do it. They do it very well. They're not helping us. They're not modeling this for us at all because they can go down to the treasury and print some more money up. But you can't do that. If you print money in your basement, man, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Set a budget and stick to it. And I, I, I'm just telling you, I, this causes so much issue. And, and what I'm really trying to say to you is that if you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a counting person and you got finance. I, I don't have that. There's so many programs that do this for you. It's so simple now. It's not like you gotta have a ledger and your papers. Like, like this, the computer does it for you. And I say this, if you're having problems with it, talk to somebody in our church. It's an expert and they would love to help you. 
Let's go to Dave Ramsey on this one. Love Dave. He's got a, quite a sense of humor. He says, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's true. Second rule, good stuff so far? Good stuff for like nobody here. We're not talking about finances. I don't want to talk about that. L- listen, I'm telling you, hear my heart in it. Uh, we're having trouble. Pay off credit card debt every month. I know that's hard for some to hear. Again, I don't want to lift myself up, but I'm telling you, my parents, my dad, he beat this into me. I've, Jody, we've never, had a, we've never had money on a credit card that we didn't pay off each month. Like, never. Like, I've never done that. And so I don't want to lack compassion here, but this is so critical because people are swimming in debt and it's non-appreciable asset. This is not good asset. And so here, look at this um, statistics. Here's the statistics. Can we put those up on the screen? I, I don't want to go through each one of them. They're in the middle screen. Uh, take a look. And, and this is what I'm saying. We're, we're in a bit of a crisis period that... These are just what's going on in everybody. There's just a lot of people who are in debt. The average amount is $6,194 per person and with credit cards. And now, interestingly, Alaska has the most credit card debt. That's what I said, Alaska. And the funny thing is my son-in-law is from Alaska, and he doesn't even have a credit card. So I'm always telling him, dude, you got to get a credit card just to build, the, to build up your, um, what do you call it, your credit rating. He said, no, 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 that's why. Now, you know who has the lowest? Ohio. That's where I'm from. This is like hilarious, isn't it? Like my dad was right. It's like my dad was leading the way for the whole state. But I'm just saying that expensive Ethan Allen couch it's been dreaming of and that coat that, man, that's just like designer this isn't, this is Banana Republic. I bought this for $45 with a gift card. <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I'm saying it's not worth it if you can't pay for it that month. And again, Dave Ramsey, man, he's hilarious. Dave Ramsey says, debt is so ingrained into our culture that most Americans can't even envision a car without a payment, a house without a mortgage, a student without a loan, a credit without a card, We've been sold debt with so much repetition and with so much fervor that folks can't conceive of what it would be like to have no payment. Rule number three, save for a rainy day and retirement. I, I, you know, I don't care, whatever the amount is, get in the habit of saying, saving something. You know what I did for Jody when we got married? You know what I gave her? I'm embarrassed, but I'll say it now. I opened up an IRA account in her name. That's what I did. Is that the most non-romantic thing that an Italian could do? Like, that's what I did for my wife. And guess what? She didn't like it then, but she's liking it right now. Because I'm telling you, that was a long time ago, and this is the thing. The multiplication effect is real. And we would put in the amount every year. And the numbers can become very staggering in your favor if you're in it for the long game. So please, hear my heart, save for a rainy day, save for retirement. And I know it's so difficult today, but get in the habit. I love what Dave Ramsey says. Gotta go to him, he's a character. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Isn't it true? Fourth thing, good stuff so far, is it getting better? 
Talking finances, come on. Is it going to get better? Mike's sitting right here. He's a finance guy. Mike, am I doing a good job? Okay, good. Very good. That's good. One person is happy out of the whole crowd. <laughs> High Point at Home is tuned out right now. They're in the kitchen. They're making some coffee. They're actually online spending some money right now. I'm just kidding around, just joking with you people. Just have some fun. Okay, um, isn't it nice to be live again? Don't let your housing cost exceed 30% of your income. Now, this is an important one. Some people say 25. I'm including utilities and even your phone. Like, like those hardcore housing costs, this is where people lose it. I remember when we first moved into, um, when we bought our first house. Now, our story's a little different. We had two good jobs, and literally we got married, and we banked one whole salary. I'm not kidding you. That's what we did. And we lived off Jody's salary. Hers was the good one, and mine was the little one. <laughs> but we banked it. And, and when we went to buy a house, our first home, our first year of marriage, after our first year, and the bank said, we went and looked at this cute home. Cute means small. Are you hearing me? Jody's like, oh, it's cute. I love it. It's small. It had one drawer in the kitchen. I'm not kidding you. That's how small it was. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so when we went to the bank to afford this cute little home, the bank told us, you could get a house, you know, you get a mortgage two and a half times more than that. You get a much bigger house. We didn't do it. We bought that cute little one-drawer kitchen home, and we raised our two kids in it. I mean, we were in that home for 10 years. We paid it off when we sold it. We had paid it off before we sold it, excuse me. And that gave us the impetus to move down here 20 years ago and buy a house in a more expensive in Wheaton and so that we could do ministry and start the church. I mean, it's just so important for us to think through how we're doing this. Again, let's appeal to Dave Ramsey. He says... The paid-off home mortgage has taken the place of the BMW as the status symbol of choice. Let's use our money wisely. Lastly, talking about financial oneness, got to be an agreement in the house on these things. There's got to be agreement that you're working together. And, and, you know, it's not always this. You know, roles are flexible. Maybe she's better at this. Maybe you are. Be flexible in how you come up with it's Team Zappia. Give back generously to the local church and the advancement of the gospel. So important to give back generously. I remember when I learned this, I learned this from, of all people, you won't believe this, Mike, do you remember Singletary, the middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears? Mike Singletary? And, and he used to sit in front of me at the church we used to go to. And when he was there, he wasn't there often, but when he was there, man, I was like, well, this is cool. And, and one time he got up and he went up on the stage and he taught about tithing, which I had never heard before. And he talked about giving 10% back to the local church, that local church. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because I knew what his contract was with the Chicago Bears. And I'm thinking to myself, whoa, dog, that's a lot of money. And he got on the stage with his wife, Kim, and they said, well, you know, and Kim was laughing with him, and they're laughing together. And he said, you know, M Michael asked me, um, what, what do we, he said, do we give on the gross or the net amount? Before taxes or after taxes? Like with that question, it goes in everybody's mind. And then she just answered him. She just goes, do you want gross blessing or net blessing? <laughs> that settled for him. And I got to be honest, it settled it for Jody and I. As, as we didn't look back, 
we just started giving 10% back to the local church. Now, I know some might be thinking, well, tithing, it's not in the New Testament. Hey, generous giving is. I would say this to you. Tithing is not the ending place. It's the starting place to generous, sacrificial giving. It's true. And so each year, Jody and I, we decide how much more are we going to do as we give back to the church. I would simply ask you this. Would our church be able to do more because of what you give or less? If it depended solely on you. If everybody was given as much as you're given. Yep. If everybody gave just as much as you, would we be able to advance the gospel more or would we have to shrink back and do less? Hey, let's forget about Ramsey for a moment, okay? I love him, but let's go to another famous person that is quite the reformer. Martin Luther said it best. There are three conversions needed in a man. A conversion of the head, a conversion of the heart, and a conversion of the pocketbook. Oh, nobody's laughing on that one? Maybe the conviction is a little too much that what? That this is something, the generosity. I'm thankful for a generous church. But ask yourself the question, how much are you doing? These are the things we got to get in order. So financial oneness. Last one is this. Hard to jump from that topic to this, but let's see how I do. Sexual oneness. Physical oneness. That, that's what we need to do. And, and so interestingly, I'm going to put a verse up on the screen. Don't do it yet. You're like so early, it's just ridiculous. Are you okay? Just sit down for a minute. I mean, get a chair, because it's going to take a while. Okay, so listen. Um, we love him. It is good. <laughs> it's good. Don't fall, fall over and sleep, okay? Hold on. So where was I? Cover the kids' ears and close their eyes, because I'm going to show you a verse. And Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. How many would agree with me, though, that sex is worshipped in our society? Would you agree with that statement? That it has become a god in our society. Like sex sells and all this and all this perversion of, of what God's word teaches. But what you may not know is that sex has been misunderstood in the church and that it's more of a duty than a delight. It's for procreation only. That's the historical context that we come from. So it's a bit confusing about where we've been and where we're going. It's a demon through church history. That's what sex was. There's a quote I'd like to read to you. It's from Marianne McPherson Oliver in her book, Conjugal Spirituality. She does a lot of research on the topic. Get ready for this. She says, in the second century, Clement of Alexandria allowed unenjoyed and procreative sex only during 12 hours out of the 24 at night. But by the Middle Ages, preposterous as it now seems, the church forbade it. 40 days before the important festivals of Christmas, can't do it. 40 days before and eight days after the more important festival of Easter, no, nope, not then. Eight days after Pentecost, no, nope, got to hold off. Eves of feast days, 
On Sundays, in honor of the resurrection, can't do that. On Wednesdays, too, to call to mind the beginning of Lent. Fridays, in memory of the crucifixion, no Friday. During pregnancy, 30 days after birth, 40 if the child is female. During menstruation, and five days before communion. No, we're not doing that. This all adds up, she says, to 250 days, excluded days, not counting feasts. And if there are 30 of those, I guess which may be on the conservative time, there'd be been 83 remaining days in the year when, provided, of course, that the woman didn't happen to be menstruating or pregnant or in the postnatal position and provided that they intended procreation only, couples, with the permission of the church, could have indulged but not enjoyed sexual intercourse. I mean, it's confusing. Augustine called it animalistic love, lust. Aquinas said, if the motive is anything else but procreation, it's venial sin. But God, in his word, in marriage, has provided this for our good within the boundaries of marriage. And listen to what Gary Thomas writes. He wrote prolifically on the subject. He says, done well, marital, marital sexuality can be an extremely healing experience. And I want to be sensitive to those who are going through difficulty and those who have been uh, suffered abuse and those who are having problems, but, but, but this is an issue that we need to understand what the Bible really says. And then he goes on to say this. This is quite an interesting quote. It's in a book I would recommend, Sacred Marriage. He says, our God who is spirit can be found behind the very physical panting, sweating, and pleasurable entangling of limbs and body parts. He doesn't turn away. He wants us to run into sex, but to do so with his presence, priorities, and virtues marking our pursuit. If we experience sex in this way, we will be transformed in the marriage bed every bit as much as we are transformed on our knees in prayer. Now, I don't know if I would say it like that, but that's certainly different than the picture that's been painted. Is God is everywhere, and God has desires for us to enjoy what he's created within the boundaries of marriage. So now we're ready for you to stand up. In conclusion, let's take a look at these essential qualities. And, you know, um, Jody and I, we've been married now for... 31 years. And, uh, you know, we started off, I met her when she was in seventh grade and I was in eighth grade. She actually wanted to borrow a 20 cents for me from a phone call. Who remembers those days when you had to go to a pain phone? You didn't carry it with you. It's like, you know, and, and so she, you know, asked me for 20 cents and, and I'm in eighth grade. She's in seventh. I was the new kid. And so I, I gave it to her. I mean, this is Jody Shoup. I mean, I know who this is and she was going to become the future valedictorian. She was the future homecoming queen. This is the girl, I'm telling you, she was going to be the future all-state track star. I knew who she was, and so I gave her the 20 cents for the phone call. She didn't know it back then, but I'd have carried her home if she'd asked. <laughs> but then the next day she comes, and she's like, you know, oh, you know, wants to give it back to me. And I'm like, oh, no, no, oh, no. We'll have none of that. <laughs> Big spender, you know. I want to impress her, right? I mean, that's a lost and forgotten art right there. It's like, you know, you guys now, you go out to date. Hey, you paying. That's it. Yep. That's what's going on. Come on, man. What's up, guys? But I was like, no, 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 no. Now, that was touching the way you put that in. Let's keep going. Let's keep going with that. 
So then, so then Jody, if she was on the stage right now, she would say, man, that's the most expensive phone call I ever made. <laughs> I've been paying it back ever since. But in all seriousness, I, like I can say from the stage right now that Jody's my best friend. There's no other that comes close. Like we've been through some stuff, man. I mean, God's tied us back together and he's held us together. And, and it hadn't been easy. I mean, it's been difficult. I, I don't know if you know this, but we wrote a book about it. And uh, it's called The Marriage Knot. And if you know a couple that was struggling like we were, or maybe you're struggling yourself, I'm, I'm giving away, this is brand new, Craig, I just thought of this this morning on the ride over. 50 copies are on the counter. Don't have to ask a question if you're going to give it to somebody who needs it. As the gospel's in it. 50 copies on the book, uh, what do you call that thing, the resource center. And so just pick up, just no questions asked. They're just sitting there. I asked uh, Alex to put them up there. Because we believe in the sanctity of marriage, man. And we believe in any resource that's going to help us because we want to uplift marriage. Do you realize that all of our locations today, every pastor, what we're doing is we're uplifting the sanctity of marriage in a day when it's being tarnished? That, that, that these are the characteristics, these are the qualities, that, that this is what we're going. Hey, you want to get married? This is what you're going for, man. Aim high. And, and this is what you want. Don't settle for anything less, man. Been in one too many counseling meetings like that. Like, like aim high. And if you are married, I just ask you to even now grab your spouse's hand and, and let this marriage be, or let this message be a confirmation to the choices that you've had, no matter what's been going on. No matter where we are, because we're uplifting marriages. And if you're single, I just, yes to the singles that are in our church. That, man, we're not ready to get married. don't want to get married. And that's good, but we want to uplift marriage in our church. And it may surprise you as I look at some couples and it's not just about you two. It's not just about you two. It's, it's not just about you two. And marriage, there's something else that's happening. It's not just about you. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it the best. There's a higher calling. And so I'm going to ask you to stand together as we close. And I want to read this to you. And then we're going to begin to worship. It says marriage is more than your love for each other. He says it has a higher dignity and power for it is God's holy ordinance. That's marriage. Through which he wills to perpetuate the human race till the end of time. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world. But in marriage, you are the link in the chain of the generations. That's what we're talking about today. I mean, this is a bigger picture which God causes to come in, to pass away to his glory and calls us into his kingdom. That's what this spiritual oneness is about. He says, in your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness, but in marriage you are placed at a post of responsibility towards the world of mankind. Your love is your own private possession, but marriage is more than something personal. It is a status, it is an office. Just as it is the crown and not merely the will to rule that makes the king, so it is marriage and not merely your love for each other that joins you together in the sight of God and man. 
Father, I call to you and I ask you and I pray for the marriages in this room. I pray for the strength and the soul of each husband and wife. I pray for those who are having difficulty that you would reign and that they would turn to you and experience these essential qualities. Lord, I pray for those who desire to get married that you will hold them off until they're in a place where they're choosing the spouse, the best one, the right one. Give us wisdom, give us grace, give us strength. And Lord, for those who have been married, I just pray, and maybe they're going through a season of difficulty right now of separation. Would you show yourself strong? Because marriage is the bedrock of our society. And Lord, as our church uplifts it today, may we praise you for this gift and may we turn to you and celebrate the gift as we elevate the sanctity of marriage today. If you agree with that prayer, say amen.